Hello there and welcome to episode 77 of the Hawthorne's Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I am joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion, the team that plays football at the Hawthorne's where we debate. So let me start off this podcast off script by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to returning podcast favourite, Tom Goff from Baggy's Bulletin. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. You all right? Not too bad. As I've said at the very, very start, we've got a bit of a robotic nature to the way our podcast starts normally when I read off a script. And I'm not having that right in front of me right now. So if there's anything of an unusualness to the way this podcast begins, just blame it all on that. But we are now officially Alex you can verify my maths on this because I started last week's episode with a a pretty poor showing mathematically speaking we are now 10% of the way into the season in the league no he's muted he's muted damn it I knew I knew I'd do it eventually sorry um we're now uh 10 10.86 so you've missed uh, the 10% that's exactly Mid- about, midway through the game against about seventy minutes into the Huddersfield game. Yeah, no, I'm I'm comfortable where we are with the maths there. Now we're over ten percent of the way through the season. It's been a bit of a again a bit of a mixed bag halfway up the table, and I guess perhaps we'd have quite a positive feeling about how the season has started if it hadn't been for the latest encounter with Neil Warnock that's left a bit of a bitter taste in all of our mouths the Huddersfield game a 95th minute goal that saw Huddersfield steal all the points we're going to talk a little bit about that game as well as the season at large some of the question marks that perhaps linger over the team obviously the transfer deadline days come and gone as well so we know where the team is at but we're going to be talking about all of them and perhaps some tangents and whatnot along the way but for before we get to any of that let me just say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast you could be watching us right now on our youtube channel some of you are doing that some of you are not doing that we have no preference all we do is we say a huge thank you we love you we treasure you all for listening to the podcast in whatever way you choose to do it all we ask that you do as a small favor and a token do it for tom this week for Tom for turning up on a Tuesday evening to talk about the Albion. Do it for him. Share the podcast. Tell your friends and family and loved ones and unloved ones as well. Tell strangers about the podcast. Um, And then hopefully, hopefully there'll be many, many more for them to listen to. And you can talk about it with them. Does that sound good? Very good. Very good. Right, let's talk about the Albion then. We've promised people a few conversations and discussions, so let's jump right into it. Our last game was against Huddersfield Town. It was a a reunion with an old enemy, Neil Warnock, playing against Carlos Corbran's old team. So there was a few narratives going into this game as well. Obviously, they were visiting the Hawthorns, the fortress, and it has been a fortress. We spoke about the unbelievable home form, only two defeats I believe it was under Corbin up until Saturday it was a very very difficult game and as I said it, it left a bit of a bitter taste in most Albion fans match in fact Mal's not their match but after the game there was a, a, a very strong visceral reaction as well to losing 2-1 obviously the nature of the defeat a last minute 
kind of sucker punch goal after we'd so very nearly stole all three points. It finished 2-1 and a John Swift goal and and two goals from players that play for Huddersfield. It was a proper Warnock job, it feels like. But I want to talk about a few aspects of the game, if you guys are willing to. But before we get into the specifics, let me just hear your thoughts and feelings about the Huddersfield game. Are you heartbroken? Was it something that you were prepared for? Where do you guys stand? Hmm, who will go first? Shall I go? I'll go first. I'll jump in. Love that. Yeah, it was well. It was it was disappointing, wasn't it? I think, like you said, the vast majority of Albion fans were feeling super positive, weren't they, going into this one? You know, off the back of that that four um, two Middlesbrough win, you know, where we'd played well, obviously scored four goals, you know, and like you touched on, you know, this fantastic home form we've had under Corbran that was getting talked up, wasn't it? I saw a few kind of championship pages on Instagram and Twitter sharing the fact that we'd only ever lost uh, twice at home since Corbrand took over. And yeah, that combined with how poor of a start Huddersfield had had. Um, I think they were on one point um, prior to the game against ourselves, sat in the bottom three. From what I've read, you know, they've had a terrible transfer window. Neil Warnock was absolutely raging at the fact they hadn't made more signings and, you know, he was really concerned, etc., etc. So, yeah, like you said, everything was pointing towards a comfortable Baggies victory. And, yeah, how many times have we kind of felt like that going into a game? And then, like you said, we just end up getting sucker punched and putting in you know, a real kind of tame, mediocre performance. So, yeah, disappointed. You know, it would have been really, really nice to obviously get another three points, add that to the tally before we went into the international break. You know, we would have been sitting pretty, Must we probably would have been in those playoff places, I would have thought, with with, with that extra three points. And, yeah, the, the, the feeling, the vibe amongst the Albion fans would have been super positive, but yeah, you know, um, how quickly things can turn, you know, that 96-minute winner and all of a sudden um, yeah, the fan base is just like super doom and gloom and moaning and groaning and, yeah, it's not been pretty, has it, um, uh, since that defeat. So, um, yeah, disappointed, obviously, with um, with what, what played out Saturday. Very good. Thank you for that. Al, obviously we were sat together sharing the pain, clutching one another, weeping as that goal went in. It was a it was unlike other games that we've seen so far at home. It was a bit of a slow start, and I think Tom Riley calls it there, a bit of a, a tepid performance, really. Where do you think it went wrong? It's some people have spoken about how sometimes in football and you just have to give credit to the opposition for stifling us. Did we get war knocked or was this just that we weren't at the races on the day? Yeah, I think uh, war knock is a master of daylight robbery, um, you know, and I think that's what he delivered. Um, I thought we didn't play too badly. Uh, all the signs were pointing to us absolutely fresh in Huddersfield, as Tom said. Um, so it's beggar's belief really how, 
how we've managed to lose that game. Um, yeah, Warnock wasting time, frustrating our players, you know, setting up shop, uh, chasing the ball, uh, you know, quite an athletic, physical team. Um, yeah, it's, uh, perhaps you could argue the uh, the West Brom players' head, you know, um, their man- mentality going into the game, perhaps thinking that it was a foregone conclusion, um, you know, thinking the race has already been run. But, um, yeah, it's tortoise and the hare all over, I think, you know, with, with Warnock. The same moral lessons to take from it too. If you're yeah, not, I th- I, sorry, sorry, Tom. Sorry to interrupt, mate. Yeah, no, you I, go, just please. Saying, I, I definitely felt there was just my take is that, yeah, a bit of, um, yeah, like Alex touched on, I, I just felt the players weren't maybe giving Huddersfield the kind of credit they deserve. You know, we all knew exactly how, um, you know, Warnock team is going to set up, how they're going to approach games, they're going to time waste, they're going to make it difficult, they're going to be physical. Um, But yeah, there was just an air about our players. Like you said, it was just so tepid and, you know, lethargic that it was, yeah, it was hard to describe really because, you know, we'd put in such a, a, a promising performance against Middlesbrough and we played at a great pace and, you know, there was a lot of energy, you know, to then a week later produce that, you know, and it, it, it could be that classic football saying, can't it, you know, we just had one of those days. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, and, 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 the, and the funny thing is, is for as poorly as we did play, we, we could have snuck it, yeah. couldn't we really? You Absolutely. know, we, we, towards the end, we got in some good positions where we didn't quite, you know, work the goalkeeper or, you know, we got a shot on target, but it didn't really test the keeper. And then, like you said, Mayo had that chance at the end, keeper saves and they go down the other end, Ooh. you know. So we could have quite easily won it and, you know, no one would be saying anything. So, um, yeah, I think maybe there was a bit of, you know, uh, complacency from the team and, um, yeah, and, and a bit of it just, it was just one of those days for us, you know, mm-hmm. it just wasn't clicking. But, you know, it's, he obviously mixed things up formation-wise, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And Ajay was missing and he had to bring Bartley in. So, you know, these factors could have contributed also, couldn't they? 100%. I think it definitely did felt like the stars had aligned to some degree for us to carry on this rich vein of form at home. And it, it always feels like that in the last few years, in my memory at least, that we have always been capable of raising our game for stronger opposition. I remember the Burnley game when Asante scored the goal, how we dominated Watford when they were considered like kind of a quite a quality side and only were beaten by a 60-yard wonder lob, or we drew that match at least. And I always felt like we've, we don't punch down well we're, we're quite merciful in that way. We don't really beat up on teams very often. And and it was definitely a game that felt a little, bit, a little bit like that. I definitely, without, again, dropping too much into or overusing football cliches, that we weren't at it. We, they felt like they were at it. And that felt very much like a the Warnock factor as well, that he gets his teams all riled up and they're straight out the blocks and in our faces, whereas we want to kind of play a more progressive and pedestrian level of pace. And really, I guess in what we've seen recently be successful is when we're a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more intentional with what we do. Um, It tends to work out well. There's something you've just touched on there. And I kind of, a few talking points that have emerged from this game. And 
obviously the first one being the lineup. The news broke that Semi Ajayi had been like sick or unwell during the week. And there was a couple of other players that had potentially been feeling the effects of illness as well. Uh, and we reverted back to uh, the back four, the back four system that had we'd struggled under, to be fair. And the back three seemed to have really, we'd found a home with the back three. It was um, one of those things where it almost felt like Corbram was damned if he does, does and damned if he don't, because if he doesn't go to the back four and tries to squeeze square pegs into round holes that he gets, gets kind of the crowd on him for that. Or if he tries to use the players in their best positions and reverts the back four, but it seemed to really hurt us in this game especially in the game, as Alex rightly points out in our little chat here, that on any other day felt like it could have been 2-1 the other way around. Um, and the XG certainly indicates that as well. Obviously, going forward, we'll talk a bit more about the Huddersfield game, but do you think that this has almost proven that when Ajayi's back, one, he's a must-start, but the back-free system is something that we need to kind of, that's our that's our thing now is that is that where you guys land or what do you think for me definitely um i think back three uh with two wing backs i think we need that solid platform and that extra um security at the back um if anything to allow teams to um sort of pressurize us so that we can get them on the counter attack or uh, when they're more attacking um, so they're not as prepared uh, so it opens them up a little bit um, I'll be quite interested to hear what Tom has to say though I've not heard uh, Tom's opinion on the, the three at the back Yeah I I think yeah I can understand you know the, the, the reasoning behind Corbran um, taking you know changing things taking that approach on Saturday one I think like you touched on I think Ajayi is so vital to that three central defenders um and you know the wing back i think you know him not being available was um a major kind of consideration for corberan and then i think also the fact that you know like we touched on huddersfield were going to rock up they weren't really going to want much of the ball you know they were going to be happy for us to have the ball and try and break them down and then sit deep and you know counter attack and try and um causes problems set pieces so i think corbran was thinking maybe you know going back to the to the back four um three uh two three one approach was maybe to try and control possession a bit better i think the the, the three four three formation uh is better suited when we aren't having as much of the ball if that makes sense mm-hmm. in terms of hitting teams you know the opposite hitting teams on the counter attack um so I can, but I agree. I, I'm very much a bit old school when it comes. I always think like, you know, if you, managers who kind of tinker and change formation every other week and and you know mess around a bit too much. I never think that's a good thing. I always, I'm kind of a firm believer in that. You know, you you have your approach, and 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 you stick with it. And you can obviously change things in game and personnel and so on. But I just think you know you have your kind of your formation. I just think it, you know, professional football as well would probably say, you know, they'd much prefer it when, 
you know, they've, they've got an approach and that's it. You know, they're working on that 100% in training. They know, you know, the plan going into every game, so to speak. So, yeah, I I, I think we've looked so much better under the 3-4-3 three, three so far this season. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, with the players that's available to him, especially in defence, like you touched on, Alex, we, we, you know, we're... We are lacking in defence, are we? The, lo- the loss of O'Shea was a biggie. We haven't replaced him. So I just think, yeah, we, you know, to, to try and tighten things up at the back, you know, to add that extra central defender into the mix with the wing backs, I think it's it's vital, really. So, yeah, I I, I want to see the 3-4-3 three, three more than the 4-2-3-1 mm-hmm. moving forward, definitely. No, that makes sense to me. I do I agree with you. Like wholeheartedly, both of you. I think we've really stumbled across something that suits the players in our desired starting lineup. It really seems to suit those players. I do think Corbran's hand was forced with Bartley having to come in and and various other players. The inability to necessarily play out from the back, or that was hampered somewhat. It brings up an interesting question, though. There, and I think you've just kind of alluded to it there, Tom. In the in the sense that Corbran does have a very although he tinkers with the formation, he does have some kind of staunch ways of approaching a football game. And we'll talk a little bit about Corbin. Obviously, after this result, it all blew up about uh, some people calling for his head and stuff. We'll talk about that in a little bit of time. But I always thought, and we probably can't answer this question, but how much of a tension is there between your instructions as a player and the reaction of the crowd around you. Because whenever we play out from the back and Palmer and Kripre and Ajay or whoever are knocking it around them in a little triangle and their player is getting progressively closer to each one every time the ball is just zipping past with centimetres to spare and the crowd are starting to go mental and just get it out, kick it clear, go mad. And then or the other end of the pitch when we get down the wing and everyone's saying, just cross it in, just cross it in, get it in there. But there's a clear instruction that Corbin wants them. How much do you think that kind of the, the grumble in the crowd plays into the decisions of players? It, this is kind of a complete tangent, but I just, I genuinely find that anxiety in the crowd that has to surely affect like uh, Cedric Kipper or Alex Palmer in, and then do they defy instructions? Is is there a, a balancing act there that you guys can work out? I think you're spot on. I think it's, but, you know, it's it's a funny one because obviously, you know, we've already spoken about how good we've been at home. But you're right that whenever, you know, you you, you know, Corberan is a bit of a um, football purist, isn't he? And that he wants to, he wants to like you said, play out from the back and try and create that space by, yeah, taking short goal kicks and opening the pitch up as big as possible. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> like you said, there's obviously lots of times where, yeah, it is a bit nervy and it's a bit touch and go and you can feel that, like, anxiety. And, the, and I think there's, like, that weird kind of, like, oh, kind yeah. of, you can hear it, can't you? Just that ringing around the stadium, like, everyone collectively yeah. making Guttural these noises. noises. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's literally, but, um, it's, it is pure anxiety. Yeah, but, yeah, you, you, you're right. But I think, I think Corberan, you know, he, he will tell him just, like, you know, you, you do things my way. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. There will be those players, like, they're hearing the moans and groans and stuff. There will definitely be a, a kind of flicker in there to just boot it up instead of doing what the boss wants in playing it, you know, across the goal or 
a ball into midfield with them pressing or whatever. But um, yeah, I, you know, this is one of the things I like about Corbran is that I do, I do think he's he's obviously got this. It's a you know how he wants to play football. He's got this kind of philosophy, um, and. Yeah, even with the players he has available to him, you know, it could it would be so easy to say, well, look, I'm a bit worried mm-hmm. about centre backs and how good they are coming out with the ball and the guys in midfield and and you know, so let's kind of mix things up and play mm-hmm. a bit more direct. He says, no, you know, I'm going to try and improve these players. I'm going to work on it on the training pitch. You know, the hope is the more they do it, the better they'll get at it. You know, we stick to our guns. I like that about him. You know, that's one of the things I really do like about the guy. So, um, yeah, that's great. And we're literally just running out to the end of this Zoom call here. But, Alex, share those two words with us. Strong identity. And we'll leave it there. Right. So we'll carry on our conversation now after Alex's two-worded kind of exclamation mark on the end of that conversation. For those of you, though, who only listen to the podcast, there is a fly about my head that you might be visible on YouTube. But what also is visible on YouTube is a little bit of an unfolding drama with the picture behind Alex's head. He has taped it together, but you'll see that if you look at the YouTube, there is a divide between two paintings behind him. Ow, what, just can you just show the location where it's currently being held together with sellotape? Like, I want you to keep an eye on that, viewers, because it's going to drive your OCD mad watching this. Because I think in the first half, it might have been a slightly askew at some points. But that's something just to keep track of during the podcast. Let's get back to the football, because that's probably why people listen, not Alex's artist gallery behind him. Corbin came under a lot of fire in this game. Um, and it was one of those games where... Like we said at the start, there was a lot of expectation and it probably could have gone the other way. What do you make of all of the the hatred around Corbin? Well, I say hatred, the 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 visceral reaction, I think I said earlier, around some of the aspects of the game, the in-game management. Do you put this at Corbin's feet and, and kind of point the blame gun at him? Or where do you think you, you lie with Corbin and your relationship with him, Tom? Yeah, I think I think it's incredibly harsh to be honest with you. Um, the big one at the moment seems to be, you know, his substitutions. Um, and, and, and you know what players he's bringing off and who he's replacing them with, and and the effect that's then having on the game. And I think the the the, the biggest one is, um, you know, Yukuzlu and Malumbi. In midfield, there's been a few instances now, hasn't there, where he's brought those two guys off, or one or the other, and brought on either Shalaba or Mowat. And, yeah, we haven't been as effective as we were with those guys on the pitch. And because it's kept happening on a few occasions now, the fans, you know they're crying out for him to kind of leave you because the one leave Malumbi on and, and and don't take him off, don't mess around with things. You know when those guys are brought off, you know it has such a negative effect. But I think you know he he's he's got one hand tied behind his back really because 
we haven't got many options, have we? Especially in central midfield. Mm-hmm. And like I did, I did a, a bit of a video the other day on my Instagram page, and you know, I just feel the way Yakuzlu and Malumbi approach games. You know, it's high intensity, a lot of pressing, a lot of you know, running around ultimately, you know, they cover a lot of distance, don't they, in their games. That especially your Kuzlu, you do see him start to burn out a bit mm-hmm. around that kind of 70, 75 minute mark. And, you know, Corbran has no choice really other than, than to to take them off, especially your Kuzlu, and, and bring some fresher legs on to mm-hmm. try and either see out the game or or try and you know, get something from the game, you know, which was the case against um, Huddersfield. You know, and his mindset obviously is probably as well that, you know, these guys, whether the fans like it or not, are going to be involved this season, you know, because that those are the players that he has available to him. And Malumbi and Yakuzlu, they're going to get suspensions. They're going to pick up knocks. Moet and Chalabert are going to have to play games. They're going to have to play minutes from now up until January. So, you know, Corbin's probably also thinking, I need to get these guys on the pitch and give them some minutes because they're going to be called upon at some point mm-hmm. in the season. But I think because, you know, we, we've had these kind of poor finishes to, to the last couple of matches. Um, yeah, the fans have been kind of having a right moan and groan, you know, when those those changes are made and, and, and you know, they're kind of pointing the finger at those in the moments where, yeah, the, the 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 game kind of turns against us, um, and Shalaber especially seems to be—he's the new scapegoat, isn't he, Shalaber? Mm-hmm. I think um, you know every season the Albion faithful always seem to to have one, don't they? And I think um, Shalaber's most definitely it this season. So, so yeah, for me, I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair. You know, for me, Corbin has to be has to make these changes um, that he makes, and. Um, you know, it's. I, I don't necessarily think they're having as big an impact as people think they are. You know, it's it's it's, it's a team collective, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, there's eleven players on the pitch. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I I I think it's a load of nonsense to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I think I agree more or less with you. I think it's one of those situations where, especially in the Huddersfield game, he he kind of had to do something. He had to roll the dice a little bit. Um, I definitely want a manager in control of Albion who's willing to gamble for a win, then settle for a draw. Um, and I think, again, the nature of the opposition kind of forced his hand. Alex, we know on the podcast, and those people who listen regularly will know that you are very much all hail King Corbin. You, What do you say to these uh, the doubters and the, the naysayers? Let's hear your impassioned cry. I think they need to go and have a cold, hard look at themselves in the mirror. Because, it's, uh, if, it's more their fault than Corbin's, basically. I like that. Yeah, I mean, Corbin is, you know, he's, he's worked miracles and, you know, he's, I trust him. Um, you know, the, you know, he's a clever bloke, isn't he? Like you can see by the way, um, in his post-match interviews, very open, very honest. Um, yeah, I think you'd be biting off your nose to spite your face if you got rid of Corbyn. I think we'd be in a lot, a lot worse a position than we currently are. Um, you know, he's he's the one that's kind of steadying the ship at the moment through the the stormy seas. So, 
Um, yeah, I think it would be a dark day if we ever lost Corbyn. He's definitely our most valuable asset. And I think the club kind of more or less have driven that point home by the way they've hands- handled the transfer deadline day and such. Uh, just to kind of bring back to the Huddersfield game a little bit and talk, just mention something you've spoken about there as well, Tom, This the, the new lightning rod for criticism at Albion or the new scapegoat, whichever way you want to look at it. And it's not just that, Albion fans like a scapegoat. They always like a scapegoat that they can call lazy. Um, it's an effort issue with Albion fans most of the time. We never really seem to look at a lack of quality. Um, we're always more concerned about a lack of perceived effort. And you're absolutely right. Shalaba came on, had a very, very, very unimpressive performance again. He's got a bit of a, a language style that Romain Sawyers, he kind yes. of... Yeah, the laid back kind of nonchalant, um, but without necessarily an impressive technical repertoire like a Sawyers or someone like that. Obviously, Huddersfield in this game scored the sucker punch goal after Josh Madger had um, just had one saved. Quick mention to Josh Madger as well. I think personally he's done all right in that situation to carve out the chance. Perhaps the shot could have been a little bit better, but I, I think he's done well enough, in my opinion, to prove that there's definitely a player there. But on the the counter-attack, um, my dad was going absolutely apoplectic about Shalabar and the, the the kind of weak initial contact with the player, the, the, the lack of challenge on the wing, and then the failure to track back. And effectively, that the reason... Huddersfield equalising that situation is Chalaba, but I don't know what you guys think about it. Do you, is Chalaba just is does he warrant the scapegoat kind of tag in that situation, or is there is it more complicated than just he didn't try hard enough and that's why Huddersfield won? Yeah, well, I I think he's I think I do feel a bit sorry for the chap because I just think. He's not in a great position, really, because he's obviously not first team. Um, and I just don't think he just fits the core brand mould at all. Like you said, you've, uh, you you put it perfectly. He does. He is very much like a Romain Sawyer's type. But, yeah, he's not as good as Romain Sawyer's, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah you, you don't really know... You know, is he more attacking? Is he more defending? Like, I, it sounds really bad, but I just think he's just a, he's just a bang average player, isn't he? And it he's he's in this situation now where, like I said, like I touched on, he's he's going to be needed. He's going to be needed, even if it's just to bring on fresh legs. You know, at the end of every match. But yeah, the type of player he is, you, you know, you're spot on. He, he, you know, he's not a Malumbi type where he's you know. He, He's plumbing, charging into mm-hmm. people, and he's just hundred miles an hour, and it's just non-stop. You know, his his approach does come across, you know, as a bit languish and, and potentially a bit lazy. But yeah, it's it's one of them. It's just it's gonna it's not gonna get any better, is it? It's just no, gonna get it's, worse. It's gonna get no, uglier and uglier. It's gonna get uglier. And like, obviously, that the incident at Stoke, you know, hasn't helped. Um, hasn't helped things where he kind of swore at one of the fan the fans wasn't it as they were coming off at half time and 
that all got blooming spread across social media and all the rest of it. So, yeah, he's, it's just not a, a good situation. So, yeah, it's, it's, I feel a bit sorry for the guy. It's, again, yeah, we you touched a little bit on the transfer window. We so desperately needed another central midfielder, in my opinion. In my opinion, we needed a central midfielder more so than a right wing back in my opinion because I always felt Phillips could play right wing back and he obviously can cover left wing back he's shown that already this season that I have thought that, that Corbin will be going all out to try and bring in another central midfielder because of how you know lacking we are in terms of players you know the type of players that Corbin likes in the middle of the park so um yeah it's not pretty I am it's like you said it's just gonna yeah. it's just gonna get worse I totally agree with you. I think it was one of those moments where I think looking back at their goal now, Al, that there was a few problems. Obviously, I say a few problems. It was a catalogue of errors. And I know some people have said that Chalaba just needs to go through that player on the halfway line and take the yellow card. I wondered, I spoke to you after the game, whether he was probably under instructions to not give away cheap free kicks so that they couldn't waste a lot of time. And that is what kind of more or less, that might be giving him a lot more credit than he deserves. And it kind of brings us back to that instructions versus the 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 mood of the game or the moment by moment kind of what's happening around you. But there were so many problems with that goal. You had Darnell Furlong failing to track the run, Eric Peters playing people offside, Cedric Kipper, Ray kind of was a little bit sleepy, even though, again, he was monumental. But I want to turn us to another kind of real point of criticism that's recently emerged. And this is probably a conversation that takes us going forward now, is Alex Palmer's performance. He was beaten at his near post twice um, by goals where the XG of the two shots collectively was something absurd, like less than 2% or something. Um, But he's been beaten twice. He was actually beaten a third time when they were called offside from a similar back post volley, but this time they went across. It's well known now, I think, that Palmer struggles at his near post. Um, where, Where do you stand with Palmer? He seems to have lost a little bit of that bark. We used to comment that we could hear it in the stands. I haven't heard that in a few weeks. Obviously, he's been beaten by shots that I think even the data suggests that you'd be expecting him to save. So, Al, is there a point now we're reaching this international break where perhaps it's t- time to change? Or what do you think about the goalkeeper situation moving forward? Yeah, I definitely think Palmer's one to watch at the moment. I don't think we're at panic stations just yet. Um, where, but I, I mean, we've got the luxury, really, of having Griffiths on the bench, who's you know a top young goalkeeper coming through. So Alex Palmer definitely needs to book his ideas up. Um, you know, he needs to get the uh, near posts uh, goals out of his system, um, and he needs to, you know, perhaps during this international break, work on that. Um, he's a he's a brilliant goalkeeper, and and as you say, Jamie, like the way he talks on the pitch, is a real leader. Um, needs to get a bit of that back. Um, it's a dip of form. He just needs to try and find it, find it again. There's been other commentary around him saying that he's been not bad this season, but a bit inconsistent. Like obviously, man the match against Leeds and pulled out that absolutely world class save. I guess uh, my 
issue with him is I haven't heard his voice as much. I don't know whether this tennis racket training that was on the on the on the Instagram where he was firing tennis balls at him, then kicking and scoring still, which I don't know if you know, it's about that training routine that they were highlighting with this new goalkeeper coach. How many times the trainer scored was ridiculous, really. It wasn't like, it, it might have been a good advert for the training method, but it wasn't a good advert for the, the trainee, so to speak. But um, he certainly doesn't have a much of a command of his box either. He doesn't come from any crosses. He seems to be hesitant almost about making those big decisive actions. And without his shot stopping, Tom, where do you lie on the uh, on Palmer's future? Would you would you be looking now towards youth, or would you 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 kind of stick with him? I think well, I think you made a good point there in that you know the 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 dip in form is well yeah alex has obviously just said it on the chat you know the dip in form has coincided with the the new coach coming in hasn't it they obviously got rid of um gary walsh wasn't it mm-hmm. who's you know his goalkeeper coach for a long time you know and he's overseen he's overseen some some good goalkeepers hasn't he at the club you know his time with the club um <clears throat> And yeah, we've obviously brought in this chap who, um, you know, Corbran worked alongside at Leeds, and it, yeah, it just it just jotted my memory that I remember when we brought him in that there was a few Leeds fans on Twitter. I remember reading underneath saying that, um, you know, is it Meslier? It's Meslier, isn't it? Who's, who's been the Leeds keeper for for a long time, and. You know, them saying that he's always been a bit erratic, you know, and he's always been prone to a mistake and, he, you know, have never been fully comfortable with with him in goal. And, yeah, I'd never really thought about it as in, until you've literally just mentioned it. But yeah, it's, it's it, Palmer's form has definitely, you know, it's dipped and it's coincided with the new coach coming in. So m- maybe it's, you know, him trying new, like you said, new training approaches and, you know, working on different things on the training pitch. Maybe it's, you know, kind of taking a little bit of time for him to, you know, get to grips with that and, and, and so on. But yeah, I've, I've been a little bit worried. You're right. You, you know, there's been a couple of really poor goals he's laying, hasn't it? And, and, you know, they've kind of been at key moments in games and, and they've cost us, but, I, I do agree with Alex as well, and I do think he is a solid goalkeeper at this level. You know, obviously Luton were trying to sign him, weren't they, before the season kicked off for him to be their number one in the Premier League. So they obviously, you know, agree that you know there's, there's a good solid goalkeeper in there. I just hope that, yeah, it's just a bit of a dip in form, and that when we get back up and running again after the international break, that we can, yeah, see the Palmer of last season. You know, mm-hmm. he was so impressive for us last season but yeah it's 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 good that Griffiths is there on the bench because yeah we we've got a top quality young goalkeeper who is breathing down his neck isn't it isn't he so yeah that that's that's only a good thing it'd just be interesting to see wouldn't it if he kind of comes back and he kind of lets in a few more dodgy goals and he has a few more unconvincing performances whether um he sticks with Palmer or not, mm-hmm. you know, that'll be interesting to see how he approaches that. You know, it's a big, the big kind of question mark over so much of Steve Bruce's management, wasn't it? His reluctance to change goalkeeper. And I'm excited to see now on Instagram, the, 
the new training methods of this coach where he does just literally have Josh Griffiths breathing down Alex Palmer's neck while he attempts to save. I think that might be. So he's probably taken note of that and thought, actually, that's not a bad conceptual. Whispering, whispering yeah. things into his ear, you know, unnerving. Sowing like, the seeds yeah. of doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's um, it's a powerful mental game. That is uh, he's crafting there. I want to mm. talk to you about a couple more players. And again, this kind of moves out of the disappointment of the Huddersfield game. But there's a few players that I really want to kind of briefly talk about because our Zoom call is dying again. And I'm, I'm apparently melting right now. Um, John Swift. One. Oh, mate, you're not kidding. John Swift has had um, a renaissance, so to speak. Uh, yeah, let's call it a renaissance. Um, he scored three goals his last three home appearances. Last two have been particularly lovely. Really seems, we said it last week, so we won't go into too much detail here, but he seems to be um, the key part of our attack now. In As much as Brandon Thomas Sente is the kind of figurehead and the spearhead of our, our, our when you open up the lineup and you see Thomas Sente there, but in terms of in all likelihood, who are the people that are going to be involved in the goal? It seems to be that John Swift is a a key contributor there. How impressed have you been with Swift, and 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 where do you see this season taking him? We'll start with you, Al. Yeah, I think he's. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Jamie. I think uh, Swift has been exceptional, um, particularly the last few games. Uh, it's you know he's definitely got a lot of talent. Uh, whenever he's on the ball. You know, he's a very clever player, isn't he? You know, he goes one way and then he goes the other. Um, you know, he's 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 very he's very um what's the word I'm looking for? He he's he's very like uh wise, isn't he, I suppose. Um but yeah, that wasn't the word I was looking for, by the way. Uh, that's, that's impressive a substitute though, word. It's a wisdom. Yeah. He's he's very sly, maybe is that the word? You know, he's just he's just a clever player, and I, you know, I just hope his form continues uh, because he's great to watch. Really been enjoying watching him the last few games. And as Alex has leant forward, there, listeners may hear a kind of a rustling and ruffling sound. That's because, as we discussed before the podcast started, Alex um, has trapped the predator in his office space, and so that. That rumbling that you hear is actually alien life forms that are present with Alex right now. Um, Tom, another player that I want your opinion on. Um, we raved about him this time last year. Hit the ground running, as is very much his style. Um, Super Captain Jed Wallace. He's, again, become a bit of a lightning rod for criticism. Uh, not as in the same way that Chalaba has, or Chalabua. What did Carly call Chalaba? Oh, I can't remember, but it was very uh, emphatic, wasn't it? Um, yeah, she'd really went for a lot of unnecessary pronunciation. I'll have to get her to record it, and I'll play it next week on the podcast. But um, Jed, he's struggling at the moment, quite clearly. Unfortunately, I know people have pointed to the end of last season, but there does seem to be an additional part to it since he's been captain. What's going on with Jed, Tom? Yeah, I, this is this is going to be really interesting for me. This this, and I'm really interested to see how Corbran deals with this situation because, yeah, Wallace, like you said, the end of towards the end of last season. I think there was, uh, to be fair, I think it, uh, the big case of burnout towards the end of last season. You know, he played so many games, 
Um, I genuinely think he was a bit knackered towards the end of last season. But worryingly, that form has continued into the start of this season. I, I don't think the captaincy's got anything to do with it, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm being honest with you. I, some people are kind of, yeah, yeah, saying that that's contributing towards his poor form. I don't necessarily think that's the case. But, you know, he's definitely underperforming and he's not hitting those levels that we know he's capable of. And and the, and the big thing is, obviously, we've got Sarmiento, who is, you know, he's getting more and more minutes. He's got a goal under his belt now. He comes on, he livens things up. He's such a tricky player, trying to take people on, full of, full of tricks and flicks. And, you know, the fans, the vast majority of fans are already calling for him to get a start. And... If he was to get a start, then Wallace has surely got to be the one to make way for him. Because like you said, Swift has had such a good start to the season. Thomas Asante, he's the kind of pivotal, down the middle, striker um, um, player, isn't he? You know, Sarmiento, you know, they're two completely different players ultimately. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting because, you know, I hate... Again, you know, in terms of one of my football beliefs, I hate it when managers have their favourites and, you know, they're, they're underperforming and they're not playing well, but they keep on getting picked week mm-hmm. after week. You know, Steve Bruce was doing that. He used to drive me nuts. And I don't, you know, care who you are, even if you're the captain, if you're not playing well and there's someone on the bench who's capable, uh, you know, they've got to be given a chance. You know, and I think Wallace has got... Yeah, one, two games max after the international break to to kind of hit those levels again. Because if he doesn't, he's got to be dropped, in my opinion. He's got to give Sarmiento a run a game. So, but in terms of the reasoning behind it, I don't really know, to be honest with you. I don't think the captaincy has anything to do with it. I'll be honest with you. I think captains nowadays, I think they're not as important as they once were. I think, you know, I think we've got quite a few leaders within the within the group at this moment in time. So, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily the problem. I, I, I can't put my finger on it, really. But, yeah, it, it's definitely concerning, isn't it? It's the weight of the Christmas do preying on his mind and causing him to doubt himself on the field. I think <laughs> the way that Corbyn wants to play this without just chucking the ball in the box, and I know that's, again, we spoke about it earlier, a point of, frustration where we get down the wing and we don't just dump it in the middle and I and I get I understand why Corbin doesn't want us to fire a ball at Thomas Asante who's like five foot ten and they're six foot four centre backs. I, I understand why we don't do that. But that was Jed Wallace's bread and butter. Um and it and for me it's it's funny, isn't it? The same fans that are calling for us to cross the ball this season are the same ones who were calling for us to stop crossing the ball last season. And I think Jed Wallace is just kind of a victim of that now, this kind of transition to a more central kind of playing area. And and I think his natural hug the wing kind of play just, and probably being supported by Darnell Furlong um, without just unnecessarily like dragging him into it. But I think it makes it more, more difficult really. Yeah, I think that's a great point, to be honest with you. Like you said, that, and I think this is why Swift's been so successful in this 3-4-3, is that he's given more of a free role to, to roam, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And and just kind of go where he wants, because he knows that the wing-backs are obviously going to push up 
and those guys are going to be overlapping. And Sarmiento's similar type of player to Swift, isn't he? And that once they get on the ball, take players on, link up the play. I think, yeah, I think that's a really good point in terms of Wallace. He's, he's that old school winger, isn't he? And yeah. and, and you're right. If you're not set up in a certain way, those guys ultimately become ineffective, don't they? Al, quickly, we've probably got 30 seconds before we need to start another Zoom call. Grady Dean Garner returned. How happy were you? Absolutely ecstatic. Um, you know, it was it was great to see him. You know, he looked lively. Um, really pleased to see him back. Can't wait to see more of him and Sarmiento. Just absolutely milking teams, just rinsing them. Beautiful imagery. We'll be back in a second. Very good. This will probably be the last Zoom call we have to do tonight, boys. I am just noticing, Alex, that some drama has unfolded behind your head. Um, I don't know whether this has been manufactured for the entertainment of our viewers, but people with you know, like triggering people, just how off that is right now. Is there any on-the-scene DIY? Oh, look at that. Beautiful. Very good. As if by magic. Indeed, indeed. We finished off there speaking a little bit, Grady Dean Garner. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll talk an awful lot more about Grady over the coming weeks and his his impact. Obviously, as one of the players that the club were desperately trying to shift on on deadline day, and he stayed uh, with a host of everyone else. Although there was rumours of plenty going round, and the ITKs were out in force telling us everything with precision and accuracy, what was unfolding in the dark dungeons and half-lit rooms at the training ground where um, fax machines were whirring and such uh, into all hours of the night. But in reality, all that happened was we signed uh, a Spanish fella to play right back, to back up Darnell Furlong, Pippa, player who's followed um, Corbin around, a little bit more of an adventurous right back uh, from what I've heard at least not really know too much about the lad um but a little bit of a an alternative option to uh furlong and the long throwing specialist that he is what did you make of deadline day what was your assessment overall obviously there was a lot of fears going into it that we could be stripped um a little bit of an asset stripping and some really kind of popular players leaving the club bta was mentioned john swift was mentioned obviously We've spoken about Dean Garner. Overall, what would you grade our um, our deadline day activity? And we'll start with you, Tom. Yeah, it was just a bit meh, wasn't it? I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, it was, it was like you said, it was good in one sense that you know, those rumours started to emerge, didn't they, that people were interested in Thomas Asante. I think Stoke made a couple of bids and then Leeds were interested apparently on deadline day itself so yeah there was concern that we were going to lose him and a couple of whispers about Swift and Yukuzlu as well so you know it was really good to keep hold of those guys because I genuinely did fear that we were going to maybe um, sell one of those um, you know on that last day of the transfer window but then it's like I touched on it earlier We, I, I was really hoping to see us bring in um, another central midfielder. Um, and then, yeah, it was quite clear early on, wasn't it, that he, we were only really going to be able to bring in a right wing back. 
Um, you know, there was a couple of players that were linked, but the reliable sources out there were saying that, yeah, it's, it's only going to be a, a new right wing back brought in and, and that's going to be that. And they're going to try and keep hold of everyone else. So, um, yeah, uh, I was, I was disappointed. And like you said, you know, you've obviously spoken a bit about Dean Garner. I was, Alex might get upset, but yeah, I was, <laughs> I was hoping to see it. I was, I was hoping to see him moved on because I just feel like it's just not worked out with Dean Garner. It's not worked out. And I was, I was thinking that he was one of the few players within our squad that we we might be able to get a, a you know a pretty penny for, mm-hmm. and and that that might then be able to um, work its way into Corbyn's pocket perhaps, and he could maybe bring in a couple more that he wants. But yeah, for whatever reason, it just it, nothing materialised. Um, you've got this odd situation now where yeah. It, it, it's kind of common knowledge that the club were um, keen to move him on. And I, I think the player himself, there's, there's definitely an element there of the player himself wanting to move on. I think it's been said, hasn't it, that he's keen to move back down south to London. He's never really settled after leaving West Ham. So I think it would have been good for all parties, really, for him to to move on. But then, yeah, you've got this odd situation now where, he, he, you know, he, he's stuck with us until until January. So yeah, it was, it was disappointing. I genuinely thought we'd be making a couple of signings and then, you know, to learn, like I said, halfway through the day that it would just be a right wing back. I was thinking that's not enough. It's not enough. You know, we, we needed another central midfielder and and another center back as well, to be honest with you. So yeah, I was, I was disappointed come the end of, of, of deadline day. Al, obviously a lot of people viewed it, that it was a, a bit of a coup to keep so many players. Obviously, Mark Miles had announced at the beginning of the transfer window that we were a selling club and people were upset about that. And as Tom's pointed out, there was the threat that we would be bringing in a number of players. But do you, do you count it as a victory just to have kept some of those fundamental pieces of the squad? Is, it, is that going to be enough? Does that make us competitive this season or... Uh, are you in the camp with Tom that we really needed to be reinforcing to be truly like considered a, a playoff contender at the very least this year? Yeah, um, the, the way that I'm looking at it is that we've lost arguably, arguably our best player or at least one of our upper tier players. And then we've kind of brought in two upper tier players uh, in Mazur and Sarmiento. Pippa remains to be seen whether he's any good. Um, so we've got rid of a bit of deadwood got rid of some of the players that you know we didn't really need or they were kind of luxury um so i think it's been a very good window i have to say if anything we've got a, an embarrassment of riches up front now uh, like i would know i think corbin's going to have such a headache picking like the uh the front four players perhaps um you know agree with tom midfield and defense look a bit dicey but uh up front like dean garner sarmiento how how we, how you can even how you can get those those two players into the team at the moment you know remains to be seen but i'm sure corpin's working on that at the moment um i, I think we're probably good enough for a playoff position we just need a good run of results, really. Um, 
and keeping players fit, like Yakuslu and Malumbi in particular. Um, but I think uh, Corbyn's got a, quite a war chest at his disposal, um, so I, I can see him doing all right this season with what he's got. Yeah, it was an interesting one. I don't know how I feel about I, I feel like I'm probably somewhere between the disappointment that you felt, Tom, and the kind of, kind of, I guess, satisfaction that you felt, Alex. I, I sat down with my KFC on deadline day, as is customary, and um, I enjoyed the KFC. It was very good. But again, I think the, the thing about deadline day is it, they're underwhelming whoever. Unless you support Nottingham Forest, they're underwhelming because every we've been hyped up in such a a frenzy with twitter and jim white and sky sports coverage that you want to see your club active on transfer deadline day when the reality is the best business is done way ahead of transfer deadline day the best teams have done their business it's all shut up shop and it's kind of the the more panicky last minute moves that um but we want to see him, nonetheless. I, I, I'm desperate for Albion to sign anyone. Like, and there were some exciting names out there, and there still is some exciting free agents names out there. I know you've listed some on the Instagram, Tom, this week as well. And for me, I, as much as I'm kind of happy that we have got back up to Darnell Furlong, I always want more. It's never enough. It's that kind of, I want a bigger present under the Christmas tree. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to for us to unwrap a new striker or a, a central midfielder or someone to give John Swift a bit of competition. And I think where we stand with the current squad, I feel like the first, the starting, not obviously the 11 that we start with, there's probably 14 players that I think that we have that are to the standard of what Corbin will need to present a challenge. But I think as last season proved, that's so fragile and kind of temperamental any injury or suspension and you're suddenly stripped back to a very weak position and I feel like with players who've demonstrated like like DK he's he's a bit like frail and there's other players that pick up knocks and, and various sort of things across the season that although I'm happy with what the business was I can see it leaving us short still in the long run. Let's kind of move into on the debate club. We don't mind discussing future events and we dabble in the prophetic and we get into realms of the mystical, etc. And we are five games into the season, which was what, 10.6% or something, Alex, you said earlier? Yeah, so, in that ball court. In that ball court, yeah, as they commonly say. Um I want us to make predictions about the remaining 89.4%. Yeah. Tick, ting. Um, We've played five games so far. We're sat in 11th with seven points from a possible 15. Guys, I just want you to think about the the starts of the season we've had. Obviously, there's a couple of narratives that seem to have almost carried over from last season. The first being, apart from the Huddersfield game, that we seem to be really strong at home again and really struggling away from home. We're shipping goals for fun, but seeing capable of scoring plenty of goals as well. I want you to reach out with your mind's eye now into the ether and I want you to skip forward 
41 games to the end of the season. Um, from this kind of our, where would you call it, our reference point in time here to stretch out and see where do you think we finish after seeing us from five games, where do you think we will be after 46 games? Very, very unfair on both of you. But I'm just keen to hear and curious to hear at least where you think, from what you've seen, where we'll end up landing. Tom, we'll hear from you first, if that's okay. I think if we, if you're to say that, you know, this is this is the squad that he has at his disposal for the season, I genuinely think it's going to be tough to finish in the top 10. And uh, I know that sounds a bit pessimistic and I, I, you know, I, you guys know me, I am, I am, I try to be as, as optimistic as ever when it comes to the Albion, but yeah, obviously I just touched on it a bit then in terms of where I feel we are lacking in, 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 in the squad currently. And, you know, you just touched on it yourself then Jamie in that, you know, if, if, Heaven forbid there's an injury to 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 Malumbi or Yokuzlu or Ajayi and Kipre. You never know. I, I never thought I'd be saying, you know, how important Ajayi and Kipre <laughs> are. But you know, if if the you know, if there was an injury to one of those four or a couple of those four, you know, I think, you know, it turns us it turns us instantly from a team that could probably give teams a run for their money and probably being in around those kind of playoff spots, I guess, to a team I just think just all of a sudden turns into, a, you know, a bit of a bog-standing mid-table team. And I, and I get what Alex said. I do think, you know, we look much better going forward this season, you know, because he's obviously changed the approach a bit and, you know, we brought in a couple more attacking players and there's competition for places there. We do look much better going forward, but I just think everything else behind that is you know we've not improved on it, and if anything, it, it's weakened because of the loss of obviously Dar Roche, our captain, mm-hmm. in, in the summer. So you know, I, 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 yeah, I just unless you know we get some really good luck in terms of players staying fit, and then add a couple in January, yeah. I think we're probably going to be looking at a kind of mid-table finish, I think, come the end of the season. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I really kind of <laughs> like... I can see, you both look like really kind of upset. like... Yeah, upset <laughs> and like, uh, you know, disappointed in me. But yeah. Frankly, Tom, that, you've that, let that's, me down. That's, yeah, I'm sorry, man. You know, because like, look, I'm, obviously we did the... I did the first podcast for you this season where we gave our predictions, you know, and even then I said, I felt, you know, we'd probably be finishing just outside the playoffs. And I just think with, you know, that, the way the transfer window's gone, I'd probably, you know, add a couple of plays on top of that and say about mid-table, I think. So, That's yeah, okay, that's mate. We, we still love you. And, Sorry. and though you crush our spirits, um, we, we still stand with you. Al, obviously, me and you are a little bit more rose-tinted glasses usually. And, our uh, innocence and naivety um, follow us around. But what, what do you think, stretch your mind out now into the future, where do you think we we we, we land this plane or ship or whatever? It's, I, I think it's such a tough thing to call um, with the, the quality of the teams in the championship. Uh, I think 
you know, I, I know it's cliche, but anyone can beat anyone more so, I would say, in the championship this season. Um, and I suppose it was proven with Huddersfield beating us 2-1. Um, at the start of the season, I predicted that we'd finish fourth, which I think is optimistic. Um, I mean, I'm going to stick with fourth. I still think it's possible. I think we've got a very strong forward um, unit. And then I think we've also got quite a good defensive unit that hasn't fully settled yet. And I think once Forbrun can kind of click with the formation and then build a bit of consistency, I think it will be a very difficult team to beat. But I also think that teams might... um, they they might uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Wisdom uh, wise, wise, wise. <laughs> not this time, but I think they might they might underestimate us. Um, you know, they might play teams will play team, teams like Leeds and Leicester and Southampton and shut up shop. But when they play us, they won't. But I don't think they appreciate the attacking quality that we've got now. So I think I think we were in quite a good position in that, and we could go under the radar a bit. So we've, yeah, you, yeah, we've used the first five games of the season to lure people into a false sense of security, is what you're saying? Essentially, yes. I like that. Yeah, that's very good. I think for me, um, if I was to kind of guess how this unfolds, I'm probably slightly backing off on my prediction at the start of the season. I think I landed in the playoffs somewhere, Alex, as well, if I recall. Yeah, fifth, you said, Jamie. Fifth, yeah wasn't the the dizzying heights of fourth that you predicted, but I think I would probably back off a little bit on fifth now as well. I think my issue with isn't necessarily the squad because I don't look around at other squads and necessarily feel they are head and shoulders clear of us. I think some of them have been picked over now towards the end of the transfer deadline day and haven't necessarily been able to re-strengthen, I think, the way they would have wanted to. I think there's evidence, as you said, Alex, on Saturday. What an opportunity if we beat Huddersfield. Everyone seemed to lose or draw or really struggle. And that's been a bit of a theme to the start of the season, that there's been no one who's really hit the ground running that I anticipate will be there at the end of the season. Preston are currently top, and there's just there's no chance. I mean with the deepest respect to all of the Preston fans that listen to this podcast regularly, I don't think you'll be there at the end of the season. So I think for me, there's the reality that the league itself doesn't have like a Burnley this year or a Sheffield United this year, where they're just going to maul through teams and really the rest of us are scrapping over what's remains. My biggest concern is that this away form I I don't know what the solution is there. We look like a different team away from home. I hope Corbyn can fix it. But I think, and you think that we we win virtually every game we play at home, but then we struggle for points away from home. That that really is going to, it's going to lead us outside the playoffs. It's going to leave us outside the playoffs at the end of the season. There's, There's just no realistic chance that you can be so poor away from home and it materialised that you you land in the top six, I think we'll miss out by a very, very narrow margin. Um, but I think there'll be a host of clubs that miss out by a narrow margin because I don't think there'll be much to divide. There'll be someone that breaks away, but I think between second and 10th, you're going to have a whole host of teams that are going to be 
um, there or thereabouts, and and I think unfortunately we'll be one of them. But we'll be one of them. We'll be one watching the the Royal Rumble of the playoffs at the end. Um, I'm not necessarily in the Royal Rumble. That would be way more entertaining if the playoffs were a Royal Rumble, though. Can I just suggest that to the EFL? Four teams simultaneously playing each other. I've got this horrible... Just to add to that as well, I've just got this horrible feeling that Corbran is going to get poached as well at some point over the course of the season. I, I honestly do. I just think... I think... Yeah, I think he's... You know he's 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 built a good reputation, hasn't he? So mm-hmm. far, I think, and I think he's done a he's done a great job with with ourselves, and he's already been linked away a few times, hasn't he? Um, and yeah, I've just got this. I don't know. It, it's not a, a, a big concern because I, I do think the guy has got um, he's got some good morals. I feel, and you know, he's got a bit of loyalty there. And I think it, you can definitely a sense that he does want to try and, you know, get us out of the division. You can see his drive and um, his determination to do that. But if someone in the Prem comes along or, you know, a, a, a top team from, from abroad say that it's too good to turn down, then, you know, he's going to take it, isn't he ultimately? And that's another fear I've got is that, yeah, King Carlos, as we like to call him, will might get poached at some point. You know, I'm always kind of worrying about that, to be honest with you. It was and, quite nice when we had Steve Bruce in charge, and you know, we we knew that that was never ever going to happen. <laughs> get rid of him, yeah, that's yeah. A, an ominous premonition that um, Thomas had there. That sounds. Um... No, I'm sorry. I'm bringing it real down, aren't I? Like, you know, it's not. Normally, Tom, you can only do as the tea leaves say. Um, And I know that that's um, obviously when he you consult your voodoo magic for the future of the Albion. If that's how it lands, that's how it lands. Well, I think that's um, kind of more or less the podcast for this week. Obviously, there'll be more to discuss over the, the coming weeks. It's international break. I don't want to start an international break again. I hate... It's this so is the much. worst one as well, isn't it? This is the worst one when, yeah, the excitement at the start of the season. Yeah. You have a few games, you're like, yes, you know, football's back. You know, you, you're getting into the swing of things and then, bam, international break. Mm-hmm. Gareth and Southgate. You know what? You know, Gareth Southgate. Like... It's Gareth, it feels like Gareth Southgate is aiming international break specifically at me. That might be a bit egocentric to think of it like that, but it feels like, a specific attack against me. I don't know what it is, but um, I can't stand international football. It's, who's international football even for? Well, it's just like the 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 the, qualif- the qualifiers are just an absolute nonsense, aren't they? You know, we're always going to get through playing the Faroe Islands and blooming Vatican City and whoever else it is we got to play. You know, it's 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 inevitable. So just just put us into the tournament and be mm-hmm. done with it and then mm-hmm. just let the season roll on. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Alex, any thoughts that you want to share about the hatred of your national team's favourite pastime? I don't mind watching the international football. Right, that's all we've me. got time <laughs> for. Oh, oh. I like any footballer. No, I don't know. I don't know. If there's green on the telly, I'll be there. Well, Alex, as always, you are the beautiful fountain of optimism 
that lights up all of our lives. And so we're grateful for you. Um, and hopefully um, the international break transpires very quickly and we'll be back to talking about Albion overcoming their horrendous away form. I think the next two games are away from home, aren't they? Yeah, that... yeah, Bristol and Watford, isn't it? I think oh, next two. Can Taylor Gordon Hickman play against us? Three games away from home. No, sorry, three games in a week. Um, Bristol City, Watford, and then we've got a home game against. Um, who is it? We've got a home game against somebody the same week. Isn't the it? Isn't Islands. it? High flying. We've got high flying Preston as well, haven't we? Oh, I'm pretty gosh, sure quite early on go, after yeah. uh, after the international break. So. Um... Maybe we can wait. Maybe we can allow Southgate to have his moment before we we welcome the mighty Invincibles, the original Invincibles. Well, it's been no, lovely. Sorry. Well, okay, <laughs> it's not quite as um, as well. It's probably it's probably more unsavoury. Well, thank you, Tom. It's always a pleasure, mate. We love having you on here. Obviously, he's returned. He's spoken about it here. In fact, I'm listening to his video just before we started recording today, and obviously. His analysis is always something that we've we've looked to at the on the debate club, and we're happy to share it because we we just think he's one of the great voices talking about the Albion at the moment. Especially liked his um, the experimental phase of Carlos Corbran as he described it recently, and that was a particularly a, a fond expression that I heard in it. But you're back up and running now, mate. Where can people find you? I presume most people know where you're at, but just. Feel the, yeah, feel the just pieces. just still on Instagram. I haven't I haven't branched out yet. I still keep meaning to it at some point, but um, life keeps getting in the way. But um, but yeah, no Instagram. So yeah, I am looking to kind of yeah after the international break, kick things on again and get some more regular videos on the go. And um, um, yeah, because I think that they always go down quite well. So um, so yeah, yes. Follow him at Baggy's Bulletin on Instagram. You're probably one of already of the the baying fans that he um, he like has chasing after him, desperate for more and more videos. I know they've <laughs> been pestering you over the summer holidays, mate, for videos. So I know that for a fact. But it's just great to have you back on the scene again, mate. And obviously, you we love having you on the podcast here. So we'll land it there. All that remains for me to say is a huge thank you to you, Alexander Newton-Collins. Thank you. A huge thank you to you, Tom, insert middle name here, Goff. Thank you. What is your middle name? James. Oh, okay. Classic, vintage. I like it. And TJ. Well, TJ, go on. You can call me TJ from now on if you want, mate. <laughs> right. A big thank you to you, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Hawthorns Debate Club. We'll see you all next week. Sweet dream. That's so much more sinister now that that's it.